Welcome to the trials and tribulations of a 40-something. My name is Amanda and my main goal with this podcast is to share other people's journey, how they face challenges and struggles but yet turn their lives around. If this can give another person a sense of hope that they can do the same and move forward in a positive way, well then I am fulfilling my goal. Today I was joined by Nina. Nina is a life coach, international speaker, author, high performance strategist, coach to an elite clientele and a humanitarian. But more than that, Nina is a survivor. Her emotional story is that of resilience and strength. She truly is one of Earth's angels. Please share her story. Hi, Amanda. And take two. I, I seem to say it's the joys of technology. I don't know why it, it kind of, sometimes it'll record okay, other times it'll not. But you know what, you just have to keep going. Roll with it, don't you, Nina? Exactly, yeah. Things um, don't always, they don't always work out the way we want them to, but they're always, they are always okay in the end. Well, this is true. This is so true. Um, so as I'd said, <clears throat> the first time, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. I am thrilled privileged for you to share your story with me and with my listeners um but a wee bit about you first of all before we get to your story uh and i'm not going to insult you by even attempting your surname nina <laughs> i leave that up to you yeah so it's nina olk it has literally every vowel in it apart from the e oh yeah now i'm not even going to tell you what i was attempting at a that's Okay, that's it. I can get oh. my tongue around that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so Nina is a life coach, international inspirational speaker, author, high performance strategist, coach to an elite clientele, uh, a humanitarian, but also a very beautiful soul. We connected on Clubhouse when I listened. Now, when I say I listened, open mouth to your story, it quite literally. Um, I know I haven't heard it all. I've heard kind of bits and pieces in other places but because I knew you were coming on here I wanted to just hear it properly if you know what I mean yeah definitely. um and also just before we get to your story I just wanted to say that in the short time I have known you you have been so supportive towards me and that means so much so I want to take this opportunity to say thank you for that <laughs> there's no need to say thank you we still, <laughs> if we could all support one another what a different world this would be oh totally I couldn't agree more I couldn't agree more so as you know, my podcast is called The Trials and Tribulations of a 40-something. And very few people get through life without experiencing, you know, some kind of challenge, struggle. But you, your story is just, <laughs> I, I have no words. So over to you, Nina, and you can talk us through. Yeah, no worries. You've been through. Yeah, definitely. I would say that there's no comparison. You know, you can't compare your life to anybody else's because people are going through struggles that we don't even know about people hide behind a smile the way I used to but really they're um, in such a dark place within that they are lost and lonely and scared so I would never compare my story or my um, traumas to somebody else I've said many a time on clubhouse trauma is trauma a loss is a loss you know you may have lost a job and I may have lost my keys but it still stresses you out or it still evokes emotion so 
there's no comparison and, and you know I do respect everybody's um problems and everybody's thoughts and everybody's worries because they're important you know everyone's important exactly that's so true yeah so my parents are immigrants from India a lot of people came from India to not only the United Kingdom they traveled far and few places you know they've traveled everywhere that they could settle really to improve their lives because India is a poverty-stricken country so to escape that life they were trying to do the best thing they could in the sense of picking up their norm and yeah. moving and it's a, it's a difficult thing to do you know if you've ever moved house Amanda you know what a struggle that is <laughs> <laughs> you know you live in nightmare I don't like to I don't like to move and I've had to move very um more more than I've ever wanted to in the last sort of 10 years so I definitely wouldn't want to be moving around as much but to move a whole country yeah. and the reason I'm saying this is I'm I'm not trying to paint a bad picture about anybody it's just societal um, implications and the cultural restraints that I talk about which I am against because I don't think they consider somebody's human rights or freedom and freedom is one of the best luxuries that I have right now in my treasure chest as I call it yeah so, you know, I don't want to create a bad imagery or any ill feelings towards the people that have moved because some people adapt and some people reject change. And that's our topic mm-hmm. on um, our articles this this month for um, Think Network. You know, we're... Oh, yes, I see you're an ambassador for yeah. Think Network. Yeah, so yeah, wow. I do, I do like to make my articles, um, I like to manipulate them. I'm going to use that word. It's a strong word, but... I like to manipulate them to tell my story and to bring awareness, which is what I'm all about. But going back, yeah. going back to my parents, they they came over. My dad is one of seven brothers, so girls are very limited in the family. And by the time I was born, I had two older brothers, several older cousins and younger cousins that were all male. Okay. The girls were very far and few between. So when I was born, they actually labelled me a witch. Oh. They gave me oh. they gave me a boy's name. I changed it um, because I didn't I didn't want a boy's name. It was like you being no like no. you being called Andy or John or Peter. It's just not quite the same. I'm not quite. I'm not. I'm very quite a feminine person and I'm quite girly. So I don't want. I didn't want that anyway. But um, my childhood was really bizarre because I didn't know any different. And it's you just know this, Nina. So if someone came to you and said, "Well, Nina's a right." sod you know <laughs> he's really impatient you would say well I don't I've never seen that side of her but it doesn't mean yeah. it's not true yes. um so I didn't know another side of life all I knew is what I knew that's all my parents showed me in the first seven years of our lives is when we are taking in information and creating our foundations of who we are your, yeah. your personality would have been created by the time you were really six because girls are a little bit more advanced but I was a very timid, scared, lonely child because apparently when I came out of um, the hospital with my mother, my I know my father told me that he threatened, and I've not said this on anybody else's podcast, but he threatened that if I ever tainted his honour that he would draw blood um, because I was born a girl. Oh. Obviously, I was a little baby. I had no idea what he was saying. Yeah. When he repeated these words when I was older, and he repeated them quite often, you have a chill through you. You're constantly living in fear of being killed. That is the life. 
if anyone's suffered from domestic violence or mental abuse or physical abuse, they might be able to, um, you know, resonate. But it's a different kind of abuse. But moving on, I'm wary of time. Um, I I was born into this family with a different kind of set of rules to the ones of the people that lived around them. But when um, people travel from different countries, they like to live in little hubs because it keeps their foundation secure. Everyone thinks along the same lines. There's no need to change. There's no need to grow. You just carry on passing on the same message from generation to generation. Yeah. I wasn't, um, as I said, looked after as a child. I was never fed. I used to look around the garden and try and eat soil because I thought that was food. Um, and the reason being, I saw my mom planting um, plants and taking pl potatoes out of the soil so I just thought maybe it was food um, okay. I was told by my uh, maternal grandfather that it wasn't um, but he wasn't really in my life for very long but he seemed a kinder person or maybe, okay. or maybe he just had a bit of sympathy for me as a child when I was six years old my job literally I sat in my room and waited I waited either to go to school or I waited for the noise and when I say noise it was a, a, a yell um, no one spoke in my house they just shouted and you might find that strange because I know I am quite softly spoken but I've always been hiding myself no no longer but because of the years that I've had I've created this personality it's natural to have a personality according to your lifestyle so yeah but everyone in my family they have a loud voice that's usually paired with several swear words <laughs> in, okay. a, in a derogatory way you know so I would be called from my room to cook something needed cleaning something needed washing and that was my job but Amanda I loved that because it meant I got to come out of my room and okay. see my brothers see my mother see my dad if he was around and I got to do something I felt needed I felt and that that's where my maternal side comes you know I'm very um, loving towards everyone I'm very come please sit let me bake you a cake <laughs> because yeah. I want to look after everyone because I've been doing it all my life and that's what I did I did that forever and when I got to school I used to not have many friends because I was actually born I was actually born into Leicester which is in this heart of central England and yeah. the area that we lived was predominantly white my father didn't want to live in an area where his own um, culture lived, which is strange. Mm -hmm. He wanted to live somewhere different because he was going against the grain to a certain degree for himself, but not allowing it upon the rest of the family. So he had extramarital affairs with English women, white Caucasian women, um, but right. he wouldn't allow us to uh, interact. <laughs> so very hypocritical, really. Double standards. Very double standards, yes. And... Um, so school for me was a strange one. I had one or two friends, but I was spat on every day. My hair was pulled. I was called a packy, which was a derogatory term used more than now. My heritage yeah. is not from Pakistan, but regardless, it wasn't pleasant. The teachers didn't really take to me because I was dirty. I would turn up not washed properly because I didn't look after myself because I didn't understand that I should look after myself. I was looking yeah. after everybody else. And... As I grew up, I started to mature as, as a young woman and my father would constantly bring back drunk friends and my job was to cook a meal for them because when they got back from the pub, they were hungry, they wanted food. 
So my mother would wake me up or he would wake me up and I would come down rubbing my eyes, you know, half asleep, preparing yeah. chicken and rice or whatever they wanted to eat. And um, one particular night they were very rowdy and my mother came up and just poked me. She never spoke to me. She would just literally take two things and poke me really hard. And in my bedroom, I just had a bed. I didn't have a duvet. I had books that I took from school. So it was a very bare bedroom. So you could hear the noise of someone coming into it very loudly. Um, and I came downstairs that night, very tired. And when I made the food and took it in, my job then was to sit on the steps. I want you to imagine this 14-year-old girl who's... Oh, Nina. Jesus. She's half asleep, sitting on the stairs, um, waiting for them to finish eating so she can clear up and go back to bed. Because she's got school the next day and she also has to make breakfast for everybody the next day. But when I went in to collect the dishes, they, the same hands, and I describe it this way for intention, the same hands that were supposed to protect me, they held me down. Oh, my And God. that night, um, I lost my innocence, I guess. And with it, I lost the will to live. I was raped violently by all of them and my eyes were kept wide shut and it upsets me now because I only admitted this in February this year that it really really did happen because I've constantly tried to pretend it didn't because it's so, it's so traumatic that I couldn't justify the actions I couldn't understand the actions and I didn't want to accept that my father was this monster as well. Um, yeah. But that led to a real change in my life because I became very withdrawn. I became very sad and at school, you see, I was a happy person and you wouldn't think I was, but I was, you know, I used to sing all the time on the way to school and <laughs> pretend my friend used to give me a smarty and I used to pretend it was lipstick. You know, these silly, Aww. you make up <laughs> as a child, you know, you have that imagination. Yeah. But suddenly I didn't want to talk to anyone and my school grades were really going down. I didn't do my homework, which I really wanted to do. And I stopped reading. And the day I stopped reading, I knew suddenly my life wasn't as it's supposed to be, that something was terribly wrong, that these things that were being done to me were being done to me. And, and they weren't the right things that a father shouldn't, should never harm his own daughter. In that. He should be your biggest protector. That's right. Yeah, completely. So mm -hmm. that's when I really hit rock bottom and I tried to kill myself in the most common way, a most painful way I'll add for someone to try and kill themselves is to take an overdose. And that's what I did. But when my mother found me, she dragged me by my hair and they all punched and kicked my stomach. And I didn't go to hospital, but they forced me to be sick. But the pain that followed thereafter from the beating and the fact that I had, you know, been sick and, and what the paracetamols and, were doing to me inside, I was ill for days. It was the first time I'd stayed in bed for several days, but I did stay in bed and I didn't cry. One thing is that I never really cried. I didn't know about that emotion. I didn't know about hate. I still don't hate, but I'd never really cried. And at the age of 17, I um, was told that I was having an arranged marriage, and this is common, yeah. um, but my arranged marriage was an agreement between my father and one of the men that had raped me. So I was going to marry his son, because where else could I be married to, because I wasn't a virgin. 
and um, the day that I entered my marital home I smiled at my my husband because I knew him from school I'd seen him at school a few times because there were there was the integration of a few um, non-whites had started to come in and he didn't smile back and I realized that he was in as much um, confusion as I was. So you'd never spoke to him before? No. Is that the way the arranged marriage works? You just don't know who you're getting married no, to? You you just I'd seen him day. because he was a friend of my father's sons. Okay. The, fa- the families okay. were friends, but because I wasn't allowed out of my room, there was no interaction with anybody. Um, but when I walked in, he said to me that his mum would talk to me and he went upstairs and I thought that was a bit odd. Um, you know, I had all these dreams. I used to read Cinderella and all these romanticised fairy tales and I always wanted my fairy tale. And I've said that a few times that I believe in fairy tales, but my fairy tale didn't really come. And what happened was my father-in-law started to um, sexually molest me. My The night that I moved in, I was given a small room downstairs and a single bed barely fit in that room. But my job, again, was to be a servant, to cook and clean. I had an amazing job in a large corporation that I'd landed and I was doing really well and bringing in the money for them. Everything was for them. I never had anything for myself, but I dressed reasonably well for work because I had to have an appearance and work for me was an escape. It was somewhere I became me, Nina, someone that nobody knew and I could hide my real life and I was an extrovert, really was, and I would laugh and joke and make everybody laugh and had a sense of humor like yours you know do silly things because it meant so much for me to see other people smile at me and that smile was such a powerful thing to see that I'd made someone smile that I can do this you know and I would smile back and it was beautiful but I made some friends they'd noticed my life wasn't normal that I would turn up with bruises that I would turn up with cuts and um, questions of being raised when I got to 21, I decided I got tired of pulling my father-in-law's hands out of my clothes and off my skin, and I escaped. That's the only way I can put it, escaped back to my parents, because mm-hmm. where else would I go? I had nobody else to turn to, so where could I go? And I thought, now I'm older, maybe it'll be different, but the day I walked mm-hmm. in, they, my, my father's an ex-wrestler. He wrestled in the days of... Um, big daddy and giant haystacks and my brother is six foot tall my other brother wasn't in that day he was coming back later on but the two of them beat me and they beat me black and blue and there was not one inch of my skin that wasn't covered in blood because they had broken my jaw they'd broken my arm and and then I'd collapsed Amanda and as I collapsed they stamped on me continuously whilst my mother watched she just walked silently not because she couldn't help me but because she agreed with what they were doing because I had come back and tainted their honor the fact I'd left a home that I was so unhappy in that I wasn't safe in that caused shame upon my family and I understand that Catholics do you know they they also are strict when it comes to shame and marriage and maybe you understand a little bit if you are Catholic or I am, but I, 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 I can't even get the words out. I cannot get my head around that at all. Like even as a mother, 
well first of all as i said a father is meant to be your protector but a mother is your natural instinct is to like if somebody was doing that to my kids i would be fucking on top of them pulling them i I just i can't it's it's i have no words she was very much part of it you know i have no I have no happiness in admitting that my parents were acting in such a bad manner, in such a um, vicious manner, but they were, and I can't escape the truth. And I'm only speaking from my heart and what really happened. Um, To them, they found a reason because they, their reason was that I had brought shame upon the family that I tainted their, their respect. And that meant more to them than my, my life which again, like you can't understand now, I've come out of this culture I don't understand myself. Yeah. But as time went on, I um, didn't really heal very much, um, but I passed out, as I said, and then I was told, we always have a family friend, an auntie, you know, she's not really an auntie that comes over. And she came over <laughs> yeah. and my face was still dirty with blood, my own blood, you know, the carpet still to this day has stains of my blood. Um, and she told me that if you get to the airport, ask for security. And I looked at her with my eyes and said, airport. And she said, they're taking you to India to kill you. Now, this was common knowledge. They would, in those times, and this is going to shock you, and I've never told anybody else this, but what the parents would either do is pour petrol over you and set you alight and say that you committed suicide or they would take you away and get you killed somewhere that there were no questions. Nina. So, yeah. Jesus. I've never told anyone, actually, about the petrol. But um, <laughs> it's true, and if you Google it, you'll see that it was a common thing back in the 80s. People were doing it left, right and centre just to get rid of daughter-in-laws or daughters or even babies, which is the saddest thing. Um it's heartbreaking. It's that is. So, when I um understood that they were taking me away, something in me said, "Give up, or do you want to live?" And I really, some reason, I wanted to live. I didn't have a reason at that point, mm-hmm. but something within me didn't want to die either. I um crawled out the house that day, and there was a park literally around the corner from my parents and. I was I was very athletic. I used to run for the school and everything, but I couldn't run. You know, my body was literally broken and I wasn't dressed very well. I was still covered in the blood and I hid, hid in a park in between bushes. And several things could have happened to me that day and night, but nothing did. And I believe the universe or God or whoever it is out there was looking over me or an angel. And um, yeah, I sat in the park until daylight and then... I had enough strength. Um, I'd watched my father going back and forth and realised he was looking for me in his car and thought maybe he's given up now. And that's when I made it to a taxi rank. And he took me to the person I asked him to take me to. And this could have been Nina's fairy tale ending because it was somebody from work that I didn't really find any attraction to, but I knew he was a kind person. Or I should say I thought he was a kind person. But my illusion of fairy tales and romance and a happy ending were broken in a mirror of 
domestic violence and mental abuse and 23 years of suffering. And I'm sorry to get upset, but... No, you hear, Nina, my goodness, you are... An... I thought you were an amazing woman. I knew you were an amazing woman before I started second to you. And now it's just gone through the roof. My admiration for you is... You no, honestly, I'm gonna. I, I can feel myself getting choked up listening to you. And oh my goodness, yeah. Um, <laughs> I'd never drank alcohol before in my life, and when I moved in, we were invited to the landlord's birthday. And oh my gosh, Amanda, the way she mixes her drinks, <laughs> she would she would put literally <laughs> nearly a tumbler of spirit and then top it up with a bit of coke or mixer and I never knew anything because I hadn't drank I'd never been out with anybody I'd never dated anybody and we um we both went around the corner to have a drink with them because it was the birthday and I'll I've never drank Malibu again <laughs> for those of you who don't know Malibu is, it's, it's rum and it's supposed to be mixed with coke but it was extremely extremely strong and I remember walking into the flat that we were renting from them and um I just fell forward on my face and the rest is history. I got pregnant with my daughter, which was the best thing in my life. I felt this amazing feeling. And if anyone's listening out there that's a parent, and I'm sure you resonate, Amanda, when you have that child in your arms for the first time, you just have a sense of belonging, uh, the need to provide such an overwhelming love and connection with this little soul this little bundle of yeah. you <laughs> and um, yeah. I declared to myself that I would prove to my father that I was just as good as the boys were that I would give this child everything mm -hmm. she could ever ever want that I never had the love the support the guidance I had never been taught how to be a mother but I knew I could be the best mother for her and five years went on I started a business I've always been very entrepreneurial I started a business selling mobile phones and those times it just taken off. So I was making so much money on commission and I was talking to people left, right and centre. My sales was just natural. And I branched out to um, getting an, a shop premises so that we could, told my partner, because he was very lazy, I have to admit, told him that he didn't need to work. <laughs> and if he wanted to, he could give up his job that he didn't enjoy and work with me. But I created... Um, a bad habit for him by giving him options that he didn't have to do anything but in, okay. in hindsight we don't know what's going to happen but it happens for a reason I believe and I wouldn't change a thing but after five years I had my first son Arjun he's gorgeous he's a very deep thinker an amazing child and then I got pregnant again and um, Tyler was he is my angel and I said that because Mm -hmm. At eight months pregnant, um, I was pushed. Oh, one minute. Um, I was um, pushed violently down the stairs and Tyler died at birth. And I was oh. on my own in the hospital listening to children being born. And um, I'd lost my baby. And I describe it as, I describe it as 
a year that, and I believe we all have one of these years, but my pillow was never dry. I didn't sleep and life for me was such a struggle. I had two children that were young that needed me, but could I carry on? I found it very, very hard. And I lost my faith because why would God give me something than take it away? Yeah. But as um, time went on, I got pregnant again and my former partner said to me that he didn't want to sleep with me anymore, that he didn't like me, that I wasn't attractive. And, you know, all of the insults that come from people. Yeah. And... Um, I did get pregnant, as I said, but the pregnancy was a difficult one because I'd lost a baby and I think I was getting pregnant too quickly in between and it was a hard pregnancy and I went into labour quite early and I did have a gorgeous, and I do have a gorgeous son called Tash, who is the reason that I started living again. And to cut my story short, because it's a long one, I am... muddled through life I would call it but I think we all muddled through life I was controlled to the point where if I needed a cervical um, smear test and for those of you that might be listening that don't know what that is it's just a it's a feminine procedure that you go through just at the doctors <laughs> with a nurse yes. a very a pleasant procedure where they sweep away at you <laughs> to make sure there's no cancerous cells so the procedure's needed for you but it's unpleasant and um, I wasn't even allowed to go to that without him being there and my car was tracked so an average day for Nina for 23 years was she would get in the car that she bought that had a tracking system on with her phone on loudspeaker drive the children to school they would say bye to me whilst on loudspeaker, so no chit-chat between school travel. Um, then we would, I would get to work, the, I, the businesses that I created, and I would come off my phone, my ex-partner, and I've never told anybody this either, my ex-partner would then link into his CCTV and watch me all day at work. If he thought I was on the phone or doing something sneaky, he would ring me on my phone. When I went to the toilet, I had to call him and take my mobile phone with me, either FaceTime or just a call on loudspeaker. And f after my workday was finished, I would collect my children again. My car was being tracked. If it didn't get home quick enough, if I wasn't on the loudspeaker, I was had to explain that the lights or there were roadworks. If I went to the grocery shop, I had to show a receipt to say which time I'd got there and left. But all of my groceries were done online. So life for me was very difficult. We never dated. He never took me out to dinner. He didn't work. All I did was work hard. I paid for my children's private education. I paid for my daughter's university. I paid for his expenses. He traveled. He traveled for what he said was work. But he later on, I found out he had another family in China and children. Oh, so I was, I was paying for him to travel first class and stay in expensive hotels. And I was also paying the woman that he had impregnated because she was a representative because we were doing, we were selling print, I was selling printing um, consumables and printers and she was sourcing me the best prices and was my um, VA, I guess, over there. And 
little did I know that I was supporting her and my, you know, his illegitimate child. But Jeez. when um, my son, my middle, you know, my middle child, Arjun, my son got to six fifteen. he started to stick up for me um and i think boys do okay. and i think if anyone's listening to this that's been in a vi um, violent home that's grown up with domestic violence they they start to see that things are not right and they start to want to protect the mother that's looking after them they can see the injustice he stood up to me a couple yeah. of times um stood up to his dad sorry a couple of times for me and i would you know, very, my children never saw me cry. They only saw me smile because I had this mentality that said, I want my kids to remember me. If he kills me tomorrow, I want them to remember me smiling. But I never really understood that they okay. were suffering mentally. They were suffering from his control, yeah. that nothing was normal. But how was I to know that nothing was normal with the life that I'd lived? How? Yeah, you had nothing to base it on because... Of, as you said, the life that you had. Exactly. So um, I ended up sending Arjun, my, my son, to boarding school, which cost a lot of money, to protect him because his father punched him in the back of his head for no reason, which forced him so much forward. You know, he literally, he, he just moved so much, it scared the life out of me. And to do that is very dangerous to a 15-year-old at the back of his head. It could cause such damage. And he was shocked. He was hurt. He was shocked. And he was yeah. mentally um, traumatized by it. And when I sent him away thinking I was protecting him, he was mentally traumatized because he never got asked if he wanted to go away. He was unable then to protect <laughs> yeah. me. He felt guilt by leaving me behind and his brother. And he and his brother were the closest things you know, in the whole household, they had this little um, bromance literally going on. They did everything <laughs> together. They were twins almost. They played in the same football academy, in the same team often. And everything they did was together. And when he left, um, my youngest son, Tash, he fell apart because his buffer had gone. He was left alone to witness yeah. further abuse. And the abuse got worse it became strangulation you know my pillow was set on fire as I was asleep and things became more and more serious and he inherited well he he had a he became ill my daughter is a biomedical scientist she has two degrees and her first degree is in biomedical science and the reason I say this is apparently we all have ge genetics within us that are triggered um, the cancer cells within us the autoimmune disease cell within us and it takes something to trigger mm -hmm. and stress as they say is a killer and he, he was stressed evil. and he became ill he has an autoimmune disease so he is regarded as disabled with it because it prevents him from mm -hmm. living a normal life and his football stopped everything stopped he took his GCSEs from hospital because he was so ill and he had operation oh, after had... operation, but not once, not once, Amanda, did his father visit him or come to see how it was, not once. And uh, he sounds like such a delightful man. The thing man. is, Amanda, I always, I'm not at all um, justifying his actions. I know they're wrong, but we all act within how we've either been taught or we know.
So I'm not yeah. justifying him. I've never said anything bad about him because I'm not that kind of person. I don't think it's very gracious to say bad things about people because it doesn't achieve anything. But he is him and that's part of who he is. And I accept that he wasn't the one for me and he has, he needs help. He needs some help himself. He must be suffering. And we do. Yeah. Whenever somebody is inflicting pain like that on another person, they have yeah, to be definitely. suffering. I agree. And, and you know, looking at, looking at it from this point of view before I go on, he didn't ask to be with me. He gave me somewhere to, to live. I got pregnant. I created this. I want a wonderful family. I want, the, you know, like the little house and the prairie type of family where say goodnight to each other and we love each other yeah. and I was so I'm such a romanticized person I'd probably get on your nerves because I romanticize going for a walk and I romanticize everything that's just who I am so oh, I'm seeing. some people don't understand that and that's okay <laughs> that's not for them but I worked I did everything he didn't really have a role I I could fix my car I could um you know I, I did the work I provided. So maybe I took away his masculinity. And again, I'm not justifying or making excuses. Mm. I just try to understand what can make and break a relationship. And I like to look at every type of angle, if I'm being honest. But when Tash got ill and we came out of prison, um, he sent a picture to her, um, to my daughter. And it said, I'm sorry. Um, odd words you might think the picture was of me asleep on the sofa and her brother was asleep on the sofa my youngest son Tash and she instantly knew you know how you get that gut feeling um, that something was very yeah. very very wrong and she tried to ring me and we had several phones at home landlines because he was obsessed if you're on one phone he wants to get hold of you on the other phone so um, mm -hmm. one one phone didn't work properly the base worked but the handset didn't and she rang every phone in the house that day. I think she had friends maybe helping. I'm not sure. I've never asked her. But she woke me up. Long story short, she woke me up. And as she did, my throat felt so dry that I went into the kitchen to get some water. And as I did, um, I noticed that all the taps on the cooker had been left on and the house was full of gas. And he'd left this there to die. So she'd saved not only my life, but the life of her brother's. And then my son was so brave, so brave he spoke out at school because enough was enough for him. He couldn't take it anymore. And we were removed really quickly. The police were involved. It was a high-risk case. And I had no family. I yeah. had no friends. So they took me away to an emergency accommodation, which you get for a couple of nights, maybe a week, but not for very long. And when I stepped into this accommodation, I turned around to my son and gave him a sheepish smile just to say, hey, we're, we're going to be all right. We didn't have anything on us. We, we left within minutes. So I had my coat on and a handful of change. And he had T-shirt and trainers and his joggers. And I think he was carrying a bag, but there was nothing really of value in the bag. And um, as I stepped on the carpet, it made a squelch noise and it smelt so bad because it was it was so oh. wet Amanda it was it was um, drenched in urine and the walls were smeared with human feces so the people that lived before were either with young oh. children and 
they weren't looking after them but I felt really bad for taking him out of my comfortable you know my comfort of the home that we lived in to this place this is where yeah. you're bringing him Nina this is what you're trying to do is this better than where you are and I found you never find a tissue when you need one in your pocket and I found the smallest tissue that was also <laughs> up and I I remember wetting it and cleaning part of the bed he was mentally exhausted he he was ill I wrapped him up in my coat. There was no bedding. There was nothing. It was a bare shell house. I imagined, oh. again, romanticised, I would walk in. There would be somebody there, someone there with a cup of tea to stroke my hair and say, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Exactly. Yeah. We've got and you, I hope to create We've got that you. one day for other people. I really do. I want to do that for them. But as he, as he lay in bed that day, I sat in the, in the other room. And I'm sure you would have done this. I don't know why I feel you would have. But... If you haven't, then other people out there have sat and cried, really cried, where your body shakes and you're trying to stay quiet, but you can't, you know, you're, you're so, so sad. You're so desperately unhappy that you broken, broken, Just broken. And I was, I was, I was broken. And I looked down and I saw puddles. Really, I did, Amanda, I saw puddles, all these tears for 45 years were laying there on my coat, not my coat, my lap. And I said to myself, what will you do now? And I, I thought, you have a child in the other room. You can't drown in these tears. You are going to have to have one last fight, Nina. And I'd been fighting all my life. All my life. But I did. And I got up. And I shook myself off. If anybody had saw me that night, they would have thought I was crazy because I was jumping up and down quietly, crying, telling myself, come on, come on, you've got this. You're going to do this. What is it you want? What is it that you can make for him? You are responsible for this kid. You have to do it. You have to make sure the other two are going to be all right. Because if you fall apart, they have no one. They only have you. Yeah. We became homeless after that, Amanda. We became homeless. Nobody wanted to help me. I didn't want to live in a hostel because the people there are so desperately lost and they turn to drug and alcohol abuse and they are in such a bad way themselves that they would have created further issues for myself and my son. So to respect them as much yeah. as myself, I stayed away and... We didn't really have anywhere to go, but I believe in angels. I believe they walk amongst us. And she came, yeah, and she's yeah. beautiful, and her name is Nikki, and she said, live in my house. I have room for you and your son. And I said, take him, not me. But she said, you must come too. And I did. I gave in because I'm very proud. And I wrote down every day I stayed mm -hmm. at her house. And to justify her allowing me to stay there, I cleaned and I cooked for them because that's what Nina knows. That's all that Nina knows to do. Yeah. But I took on any job. I would, I would do cleaning. I helped people set up businesses. You know, if you needed something, I would do it. I did some packing at a factory, the same factories that I was telling them and giving them a thousand pounds worth of orders to create garments. I was now packing under under the average wow. age, um, average <laughs> wage I was packing, you know, in these factories. But it was okay because I saved enough money and Nikki helped me to get a place of my own. And when I did, I thought 
this is it now you can stop running you have been running all your life you ran away from your marital home you ran away from your parents home you ran away from abuse from your partner and now you can stop running but my son decided to run he had problems that he was telling me and I was not listening and this is why sometimes you'll find me on clubhouse in a mental health room because I want to say to a parent or a brother or a sister or a friend or a teacher or anybody that will listen to me look for the signs they are there and you don't listen to hear people you sometimes just listen because you're so busy trying to dig yourself out of a hole you're missing the most important thing in your life which is stood in front of you and it's your child crying out for help i don't know where he got the money from but he left us a suicide note and a video which is such a haunting video that i can never ever watch it again and he went to miami he booked a hotel room for one night he tried to buy a gun because Heath Ledger was one of his heroes and he wanted to commit suicide and be found dead in a hotel room. But, you know, the love of a mother, I believe, is one of the biggest forces. That needle in the haystack mm -hmm. I found and I brought home. And for three years, he hadn't spoken to me. But February this year, he said to me, the day before my birthday, before my 51st birthday, he said, good night. I've loved him oh, from afar. I've al allowed him to find himself and for him to come to peace with all the demons he was fighting. I didn't care that he didn't go to university. I didn't care... He didn't sit his exams. I didn't care. All I cared about was that he finds his way out of the pain that he's in, this mental pain. And step by step, I've introduced things to him. I've set foundations. I've set boundaries because even as a 21-year-old, he needed those things. And he's a young 21-year-old with a life that he's lived. How can he not be? You know, he had the best yeah. offers from the best universities in London. His dream was to become someone in the financial field, which he can become. He can do anything he wants, but it has to be for him, yeah. not because his mother was saying, take this opportunity. For those parents that try and force their own dreams and beliefs on their children, don't do it. Let them be. No stop let yeah let them their live their lives their dreams their passions their what purpose. other people might say or that you feel you failed as a parent and if you feel like me that you did fail as a parent don't give up on them love them from afar but listen to them the signs were all there he was telling me so many times yeah. there was something wrong and you know what i just let it go because I was so busy saying, right, I'm in this house. What am I going to do? How am I going to buy a bed? How am I going to buy the best mattress for him? Because, you know, I want to buy a good mattress once I've bought it. I've got a... stupid things, a mattress. <laughs> but at the time, that mattered. That was, you know, and it's so, 
you know, hindsight is an amazing thing. And as mummies, as parents, we can, we're only doing the best that we know how. And it's, it's such a, it's a hard thing. Like you'll, you'll always, like I even know with myself, you know, separating, thinking, right, is that going to impact on my kids later on? But it's, I don't know, it's the hardest job in the world I, um, to get right. I started and taking you can only do your best. and finding psychotherapists because I believe there was something mentally, uh, medically wrong with him. Um, and there is, there's something called adjustment disorder, mm-hmm. which doesn't even need a medical person to point out really, does it? Because he's gone from a seven bedroom house, a lovely house with country views that I worked hard for. You know, it wasn't just something that came to us. I worked and worked and worked for that house that standard of living to send him to private education so that he got the best of everything. I I created that lifestyle and yeah. that standard and suddenly he was lost. And when you're in the motions of trying to get yourself sorted, you don't have time to stop and understand what's really happened. I have this ability to let go of things. And I know I've been super upset because it does upset me because these things matter to me. And they really do, but you do start to get to a point where you understand that things happen and you let them go and you don't attach yourself to that 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 problem, that occurrence, because yeah. you had no control over it. I didn't have control as a young child that my parents didn't care. I'm not going to cry about it because it made me who I am now. I'm able to give a little girl love. I love children. If mm-hmm. I see a child in the streets, or a shop and their parents shouting at them. I smile to myself and I smile at the child because that smile can make such a difference. And I'm, I am a kind person, but I'm kind Huge. because I know what it feels like when someone's not kind. I am a giving person because I know what it's like if someone just isn't going to even give you a blanket. I stop and talk to homeless people because I was that homeless person. If there's somebody out there struggling, I want yeah. to help them because I was once struggling. I'm not there yet, but I'm getting there. You have I'm the getting empathy. there. And my whole thing about my whole life is now because I have this purpose and it's of awareness. I talk about cultural diversity. I talk about cultural restraints. And I want everyone to know that it's not just Indians that have arranged marriages. Greeks do, Turkish people. A lot of people that you wouldn't think have arranged marriages have them. And I want them to understand that honour killings are not just in India or Pakistan, they're in Africa. The most honour killings that happen are in Africa. They're worldwide. Today, somebody near you, Amanda, has been killed because she's a girl. Either killed at birth or killed whilst their mother was pregnant and found out it's a girl or killed at a young age or killed because she left home or wanted to live a different life to be free. The value and luxury of freedom like you, you kind of think in 2021 no that's not really happening still but it's it is something nobody the reality wants to is, talk it's about still very so i've had death threats since i've started speaking but those death threats i take as fuel and i will use them to further my voice because the change starts with you and i'm not a hypocritical person and i don't lie mm-hmm. I don't lie because I've never been able to lie because if I lied, I would be beaten or hit and I was too scared to lie. But it's one of my most valuable um, 
tools, I think, because I love to be honest and unapologetically who I am. It makes me more authentic. It makes me believe in me. And if I believe in me, then everybody else will. And I found myself a couple of years ago, I found myself having a conversation with a lady in Waitrose, which is a supermarket here, because if you have a card with them, a loyalty card, you get a free coffee. And um, the lady in front of me was a very well-to-do lady, but she didn't have the change and she'd left money at home. And I said, you can have my coffee because I'm not actually first, but I want the cake because you get a free (laughs) And um, we compromised. And she had bought a sandwich. So I sat with her, stranger in the middle. I was dressed scruffily because, you know, I'm not quite there. I'm starting to get there with my clothes and buying things for me but I'm not there yet. But at that time, I'd not long moved to where I'm at. And we spoke and she said to me, Nina, you have a voice where people will listen. And I didn't tell her my story. I talked to her about her mm-hmm. grandchild, her grandson, her concerns. And I said very little, but I listened and I empathized and I was able to understand because at the age of 51, and I'm proud of my age, I'm proud of me, at the age of 51, I've accumulated such a wealth of emotional intelligence and knowledge that I would never trade anything. Sometimes I think I would have left earlier at the end when I had my third child, you know, my when my youngest and when I'd had him, maybe I would have taken the children and left. But then I also know I wouldn't have had the experience. I would have probably still walked past a homeless person because that's what people do because you're uncomfortable and you think, well, they're drunk and we never stop to think where they came from or what their life is. And just to smile and talk to them. I don't have money to what give to them, but I guarantee is. you every time I see one of them sitting somewhere, I will. I've given my coat to one before and I didn't have a coat to give, you know, but I, I will do what I can because I know how it feels to be them. I know how it feels to be a woman that's scared to leave a, a, a hostile environment because She's scared of being killed because that's what she's been told her partner will do. Yet she's going to get killed if she stays there. Just listening to you, Nina, um, there'll be people listening who haven't experienced a fraction of what you have been through and have fallen apart. And I know at the start you said about not comparing um, experiences and things, but listening to you, your inner strength is unreal what you didn't give up what was was it because of the kids was it is that was the, was the kids your main drive to right, I believe no, I have to keep um, going. I have a lot to keep of my going. motivation is my children as it will be yours and most others. you know you want to give them the best they can have but this might yeah. sound a little bit out there and I'll say it really quickly but I believe that life is a game and I believe that a higher source is playing a game. He's created my phone in my hand is made by God. It is mm-hmm. God because God created it. God created me. God created you. So we all effectively are God because he created us. I'm playing this game that God has created and I'm being tested because he loves us. He loves you. He loves me. Some people stay in the comfort zone. Some people will rise up to the challenge because they have a higher meaning. They have a higher reason they have a purpose to serve for God and my purpose is to help those who are unloved my purpose is to help those who are lost to shine the light for them not to bring them out of the darkness but to shine the light and say take my hand 
and let me help you, but you must do this yourself. I feel I have that strength because there was a reason I haven't died because I I could have died so many times, Amanda. The day that they stamped on me, two grown men on a 21-year-old body, I could have died. I could have died when my ex-partner strangled me. Yeah. The day that he set my pillow on fire, I could have died. The day that he filled the house with gas, I could have died. But I didn't. And I'm here. And I've had the will to live. The will to live, the will to carry on because I'm a dreamer. I read those books for a reason as a child. I read those fairy tale endings for a child. And at one point, my fairy tale will come, not in the way that other people might think, but in the way that I leave a legacy or I leave, a, I'm a pioneer for women that have a voice. I can create maybe an app that will give them a safe place, a safe space, or I will create a way for them to reach out and get that help or to change their mindset and empower them so they can be free and live this luxury we have called life. Yeah, amazing. And I have no doubt you will succeed in achieving that. Do you have no, and, any kind um, of relationship with your mom or dad? It doesn't serve me. I've let go. And that's okay. We don't have to. You know, when I would say to people, I've written my book, yeah. which is called Master Your Life. And there's a section in there called Family. And it says that if someone causes you mental um, stress, if there is toxic relationships and you want to retain it, retain it from afar. Respect yourself so much so that you matter to you and that you understand that you don't have to have that relationship just because society has told us we need a family. I don't want that um, in my life. Yeah. And they still want to kill me, Amanda. So why would I... I know why yes you know you, you keep them as far away as possible I know some people think because it's your mom and dad oh I have to have them in my life even though they cause me so much upset and grief and I would be of the understanding no it doesn't matter whether they're your mom dad brother or sister if they are causing no, and you I, pain exactly. you don't have and, to have them you know, in your life and all this family, as they say, and I'm related. starting to find people that are more like minded and I don't hate anybody because I don't I don't possess that emotion. Um, I don't need to have that emotion. I, I know that they did what they thought was right because that's their mentality. That's what they believe. But it's not right for me. It's not right in the outside world. But that's that's their mentality. And that's what they've been taught. So that's why they behaved so badly because they justified. And just before I go, one of my drives for this awareness is that my father has just come out of prison. He um, had an extramarital affair, as he did throughout the years, but this time he had a daughter, and he, the daughter was six. In 2015, she was six okay. years old. That's when I left my partner. That's when the police found me and said, we need to know about your relationship with your father. My surname is very unusual, so it's easy to find people of my surname. Um, and... He'd abducted her from the, the mother was Polish. She's from Europe and she was white Caucasian. So he'd taken this daughter away mm. from the mother and killed her in India. Because they couldn't find a body, the police said that they could only press charges of abduction. Now, I have this image in my head of a six-year-old scared child. I know how I felt at 21. I can imagine it with my... Yeah 
my mind that where I was laying, the way I was laying, how I was feeling. You don't forget feelings. How people make you feel, you don't forget. And now mm-hmm. I have this guilt. I'm going to admit it's guilt that this child, I could have saved maybe her life by reporting my father. When I got to the police station, I said, I don't want to report it. I don't want to cause any pain for my parents because we're taught to respect them. We're taught to protect them. But if you don't tell somebody they're doing something wrong, how will they ever change? How? There will be no change. If you don't call out somebody's bad behavior, we do it to a child, but we won't do it to an adult. That's so true. And unfortunately, though, there, even when you do call out somebody's bad behavior, if there is no they'll consequences, continue to repeat maybe, that bad behavior. But in my mind, if he, if I had pressed charges, yeah. he would have been prisoned because of the severity of my um, injuries was so much so that he would have Amanda. But I didn't, and I can't change that, and I can't change that this little girl's now yeah. where wherever she is. And I, and every day I say someone's going to ring me and say she's alive, and then I won't feel so bad. And that's a selfish thing. And I am not very selfish, and you know this of me, but that is a selfish thing because I don't want her to be dead, but I know she is. And it's just, it's, oh my God, like you have, I know you're still working on turning your life around, but you have turned your life around and have started, well, you've started to turn your life around and you're going to continue doing it. And I know there'll be those listening who think, oh, I can't. I can't turn my life around, but you are proving every day that you can. So what advice would you have for those who are at the moment are going yeah, through maybe a difficult I'd time like and think they can't make any changes? Um, to people that are listening to this, if you're in a situation that you're unhappy with, whether it be an unhappy marriage or if you're being treated in a bad way with, with the pandemic, there's a lot of it going on. Or if you're a child from an Asian background or a background where you're being restricted and you don't want to live life the way your parents are enforcing upon you, just believe that you have a change. Um, You have that change within you because you have the choice to make a change and we don't think we have a choice, but don't stay in the prison like an animal that you, you know, like an animal in a zoo that's in a cage. Don't stay in that prison because the door's there for you to open. There's no key needed. You just need to push the door and be brave that first step is what you need to do to live the life literally of your dreams and I am so happy I am so free I love myself so much and I want you to feel the same way Nina you are uh, I I know I keep saying it but it's so true you. you are an amazing individual and I am just I'm honoured to that our paths have crossed. You are just uh, I, I honestly, I'm just I'm I'm lost for words at the minute. Just listening to your story and listening to what you've been through. Um, and thank I you, want to thank, thank you so much for, my heart for sharing your story with me. It was my absolute pleasure. And just looking at the time, I know there's a little. Uh, room and clubhouse coming up shortly that I will no doubt see you on thanks so much Amanda and have a great day Nina thanks again um, just take the day as it comes and make the most of each given day that we have That's, that's amazing absolutely one step at a time one day at a time thank you bye bye
don't forget to like, follow and subscribe. And remember, if talking about it has got you thinking about it and you would like to share your story, get in touch. Until next time, take care.